Hi, everybody. This is Scott Leese here with my friend Richard Harris, and welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. Today, we are joined by Allison McLeod, EVP of Global Marketing at Flywire, based in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, we were just laughing, all, all three of us, offline because there's seven children between the three of us. So if we get through this episode without a disturbance, it'll be a miracle. So yeah. the audience can brace for some type of disruption, I'm sure. So, so tell, tell everybody, Allison, um, about Flywire and, and what you all do and, and give us kind of context for what is the sale like? Is it an enterprise sale? Is it high velocity? What is the cycle and the price point? That type of stuff. Absolutely. Um, so Flywire is a high growth vertical payments company. And really what we're doing is that we are trying to take the complications out of payments um, and make sure that our clients and our clients are across key verticals. So higher education and all of education, healthcare and travel, and plus we're, we're starting new verticals in business, but making sure that they have the ability to deliver on their customers most, most important payments. Particularly when you look at our three verticals of education, healthcare, travel, those are often very large, very emotional payments. Someone who's paying their tuition, someone who's paying for medical care in the US, someone who's taking that you know, bucket lift, lift uh, trip of a lifetime, and they wanna make sure that their payments go through, that they're secure, that they're reliable, and they're able to uh, continue on with life without, without there being complications from a payment process. So what does that mean? So, so if let's say I'm paying, you know, for, for some trip, right. Mm -hmm. That's, or, or for my kids tuition, is, is this like just another payment processing thing that that's an alternative to something else out there or, and is it behind the scenes or do I, as the consumer even understand that this is happening? So it's a, it's a bit of both. And we'll talk about education first. So we had started, our roots are really in cross-border education. And the company was founded by an international student who was studying in the U.S. from Spain and realized that, um, you know, getting payment to their, their university was completely, it was difficult. It was not transparent. The money was lost. Um, they couldn't track it. And that's how Flywire was, was born at the time. Um, so there are places where we, we have our cross-border product implemented. So if you were to pay your tuition as a student or a parent, you would be play, paying with Flywire to you, your university. So you could initiate that payment on the Flywire website or through your student portal. Um, but Flywire takes care of that whole receivables process on the back end. So making sure that we're matching those FX rates, uh, making sure that the tracking start to finish is clear, it's transparent. Beyond that, I always say our secret sauce is our global payment network. So it's ours, it's proprietary. So we've built a global network across the world. So it's our payment rails as well as working with key banking partners in different, um, different countries. So if you are a payer, say in China, you would be shown options to you that would be local. So you're paying in your local currency and that's converted to wherever that host country is that you may be going. So we take a lot of that guesswork out and on the backside of it, all of those receivables, which higher ed universities, financial aid offices, the finance office, uh, have a hard time with the reconciliation, matching all of that, Flywire deals with all of that. On top of it, 
we provide 24 seven coverage to a payer. So if you're paying your tuition and you're like, I don't know what happened to it, where is it? You can call Flywire's service or chat or email um, and we're there to help all the payers as well as the clients. On the healthcare side, um, I often say that I feel like I work at four different companies every day, which I find super fun because the go-to-market is really very different. On the healthcare side, we are working with some of the largest healthcare and hospital systems in the US. So there are instances where we're working directly with the hospital to make sure that we are providing that best in patient engagement. So if you think about like who doesn't hate that experience after you go to a doctor or a hospital visit and then immediately you're not charged there, but you get a bill in the mail. I don't know about anyone else. I never open my mail. Like I prefer a text or email. I never open my mail. Like I have a stack of mail and I usually my, just talk This is the favorite. This is the favorite thing I've heard on podcasts in like a month. This year. Never open my mail. I know directly. I do like getting gifts and boxes, but if it's like paper or a flyer or a postcard, like forget it. I'm never going to look at it. I never open my bills because I just do everything online. But there are many people who still prefer that. Um, so Flywire does all of that for the hospital system and makes sure that we are communicating with their patients by their preference. But the patient wouldn't necessarily know that they're paying with Flywire. They're paying their hospital, but they're using the Flywire system on the back end. I, I, have, I have a question for you because the main verticals that you're talking about all give me massive heartburn right now as a, <laughs> as a seller. So I have, I have been involved with trying to sell to higher education. Yeah. I've been very briefly involved with trying to sell to healthcare. I've never really been involved with trying to sell to travel. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, travel is a mess right now. How do we try to sell to that? And higher ed and healthcare, it's like turning around an aircraft carrier in my driveway. How the heck, how do you tackle this? What are, what are some of the things that, that work from a marketing perspective with these verticals right now? And then from a sales perspective, because this is, this is fascinating for me because it, it terrifies me. Um, it is really interesting because it's, not like any like typical oh, see there's one um it's not like any typical play that you normally see right in in the go-to-market world where if it's a SaaS sale not that it's completely identical company to company but there's often repeatable processes it can be like hey we bring people on online and we do this and then do this it it truly is a complete um different go-to-market across all three verticals um you know so one of the things that you know, makes it truly unique is in the way we look at it is talking to our clients. They don't want a vendor. They don't want us to help them grow their business. They want us to take away that pain that they have with the payment piece of it. They want us to take that away from them and, and truly be a partner. Uh, yes, I would say you're absolutely right when you say that those three industries are often difficult to sell into. And you look at who we're selling into healthcare, like we're selling into the CFO or head of revenue cycle. Those are difficult people to get in touch with and very busy people, particularly in the light of everything we're going on in the world today with COVID. Um, so you have to make sure that whatever you're offering is something that they actually need or get out of their way. Same with higher ed. And I think, you know, what we are doing is we are truly solving unique challenges and taking away that pain. I would say from a what's working perspective, um, you know, what's interesting is what we've seen. It's actually been pretty incredible on the travel side. Travel's been very hit, has been hit very hard in the last several months. Um, and we work with some incredible clients across the world. And whether that's the Hiltons of the world, but we also have a large heliskiing 
uh, client base. Um, adventure travel is a big market for us. And what we, what we did was, you know, they're all busy trying to figure out how do they reopen? Can they reopen? How do they reopen safely? What happens to the, the vacations or the tours they had booked this year? How do they rebook them? How do people get their money back? Like, it's a mess. Part of that is like, how do we be there for them? And the other thing we did was say, how can we get really close to our clients right now and just say, we want to highlight you. Like, we want to celebrate you. You guys are amazing. Um, so we started just doing more, you know, in-depth client spotlights, not about Flywire, not about how they use payments, but just about how amazing their businesses are and showing them off. So um, I think we all have a little bit of that wanderlust right now. We've been trapped indoors for many months. I know I can't wait till the moment I can travel again with my family. Um, so being able to feature, <laughs> right? Being able to feature these amazing clients and these incredible places and experiences that they offer um, has helped to build a lot of trust. And it's also helped to build a referral business as well. I think you can't really underscore that across all three industries that are key verticals is that ability to have that credibility, that trust and clients that love you and will continue to advocate for you. So customer advocacy is definitely from a marketing and sales perspective um, is something we focused on. What's interesting about Flywire, so I've been at Flywire for about a year and a half. The company has been you know, wildly successful over the years, started in higher ed, expanded into healthcare and travel. And they did it with actually relatively little marketing or smaller investment in marketing. So much of it was, it was you know, something that it fit a need um, you talk about higher ed, right? Everything was so manual 10 years ago when the company was founded. Um, it helped solve those receivables problems that higher ed companies were having, and it was built on this referral business. Um, so coming in as the first head of marketing and now building up the marketing team, part of that is how do we help tell that story broadly, but also really partner with the sales team on our go-to-market effort, because a lot of it was sales just kind of hunting on their own, doing some stuff. So you know, to me, that's been a pretty amazing experience to come in and build something in a company that that's what I want to, that's what I want to hear about. Right. Um, tell me more about how you, where you started that relationship with your sales team. Um, cause I think that's pretty normal for everybody, right? Like yeah. everybody, particularly depending on the stage, but you know, you sort of start in silos, um, not necessarily intentionally, but just cause you were hired to do one thing. Right. Yeah. So how did you start to partner with your sales leader at that point? And how long ago was that? Just out of curiosity, from a timeline perspective. Yeah, so that, I mean, right away, I would say I think partly why I was brought in for this role is because of my background has been more on that um, revenue side of marketing, performance side of marketing. I spent the majority of my career in demand gen and running and building um, business development teams as well as demand gen teams. And that's the place I love all of marketing, but that's the place that's nearest and dearest to my heart. Had those teams, you've had the, you know, BDR, SDR, MDR report into you? Yes. Got it. That's good. Um, That's yeah. So when I was at Rapid7, that team reported into me. Um, and we did have a BDR team for a bit at Flywire, but I think over time what we realized was the motion that we were trying to put in place for this, like, leads in, follow-up, handover, it's not really there. I think we we're too premature for where we are as a company with that piece of it. Because when we talk about this go-to-market on the healthcare side, on the EDU side, it is more of that enterprise sale. That doesn't mean that there is no inbound, right? So we're still trying to figure out that motion. 
Um, but at the time we said, Hey, let's put them, let's absorb those back into the, the sales teams to get them as close as possible to the sales team. Um, and we weren't using a Coming back. I want to come back. I want to <laughs> drill in a little bit, getting as close as you can to the sales team. You, you had, you know, the BDR, MDR, what do you call them at Flywire? What do you call uh, them? It was BDR. Yeah. BDR, SDR. So, do they still report into the marketing side or are they now on the sales side? They're on the sales side, but we actually changed the role a bit. So rather than it being just pure prospecting or following up an inbound, we've moved those into sales associate roles. Partly the... Um, what does that mean? You moved them into sales associate well, roles? They're doing more uh, full, full cycle sales roles right now. Oh, so they're actually, so they're full cycle reps. We didn't have a need at the time to keep the team as it was as a BDR team. As much as I love BDR teams, it felt like to get more momentum, um, we need to put these these so, resources and these people right into the sales team to go after the full the full what sales. What was the trigger? Because I think the listeners would like to know that. What was that trigger point? And I'm sure I'm sure you didn't just sort of decide on a whim. What was that part that made you go? You know what? This is not where this is not working the way we want it to in an ideal world. So let's shift our focus. Like what finally kind of made you guys go? Oh, we need to real we need to relook at this. So it was a few things. Um, I've always had centralized BDR teams in previous lives that served multiple product lines. Given that this is so vertical specific, having one team that was decentralized from sales but served the three verticals, and at the time we're all doing quote unquote the same thing, it just wasn't working. But like I said before, like the go-to-market for healthcare, you're talking to a CFO, your entry points are gonna be much different, especially even if it's from like, I get an inbound lead versus I'm prospecting versus higher ed. So that positioning, that sales enablement, it was so much more difficult to do in that centralized function. I also think, you know, I think a few things, as I mentioned, you know, little investment in marketing, not to say there was none, but demand gen is a newer function, believe it or not, to Flywire. Um, we There was a BDR team in place before there was demand gen. So the team is doing a ton of outbound, trying to look for stuff that doesn't necessarily exist. And when you think of this, the art of cold calling and prospecting in higher ed, you're often talking to the same people over and over again, where a lot of that is really a long relationship sell. Um, so it's not to say it's not important. It's not to say we won't address it again in the future. It's just where we were at the time. It just, it wasn't working and it, it made a lot more sense to put the team into the sales, um, into the vertical team so that they were, they were getting trained. They were really focused on how do I understand this persona, this market going deep into the sale there. Got it. When you came on board, were you, were you, was the title global or did you grow into that title? It was global to start with. To start with. Um, so it's, it's been, you know, pretty fun. I feel like the team follows the sun. So I have um, an amazing marketer in China on my team who does a lot of our payer marketing. The other interesting thing about Flywire too. Um, so not only, you know, we're B2B, but in some places we're B2B to C. So we're marketing right. directly to the payers as well, as well as the clients. Um, so I have an amazing woman in China who's doing all of our payer marketing in region, um, localized. So in a leadership role, right, regardless of sales or marketing or CEO, how do you manage that? You got, you, you know, you got three kids too, right? So, um, and one, one who's eight months old, you said, right? So they're not teenagers where they can be self-sufficient. Yeah. How do you, how do you as an individual, as a mom, as a business leader, balance that global piece with the work stuff. I mean, with the um, home stuff. 
So on a personal level, I would say I'm in a more unique, but I guess becoming more common situation where my husband's a stay-at-home dad. Um, and I'm, you know, more career oriented. And that was a big part of taking this role. One, it works incredibly well for us. Two, I think it'd be very difficult to do with three kids. And even now with everything going on, they haven't left the house in four months, right? Who knows what the fall's going to bring. Um, I don't see how we could both be doing this if we were full time. I would say the other thing is hiring incredibly talented people um, that you entrust and empower to do their jobs and hiring a really great leadership team that it has the ability to build teams. So I think that's the key to it as well, is not having to feel like you have to be, you know, micromanaging or in every detail. Um, you know, I strongly believe that all leaders, and especially myself as a leader, my, my job is to be there to set, you know, the vision, the guidance, the goals, and then help the team move roadblocks, but get out of their way so they can perform. No one wants a boss, particularly when they're, higher in their career and, you know, trying to move up in leadership. No one wants a boss that's hovering over them all the time and telling them exactly how to do it. And the majority of the people on my team, they are much better in their craft than I could ever be. Um, so, you know, that's been a big philosophy of mine is hire people smarter, better than you. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of the key things to a high performing team. What do, what do you think about the, <clears throat> maybe not so recent, but the, certainly the trend right now of, of sales people becoming kind of demand gen focused for themselves through all the content creation that they're they're building and does that does that then give them a slightly easier path to shift into marketing if they wanted to leave sales um i absolutely think it does give them an easier path i think like I think it would be hard to be a salesperson or a good salesperson if you weren't good at building your own demand, uh, right? Because there are a lot of teams where you may not have a demand gen function or a marketing function and you could start, say you're at a startup, but you're the first salesperson there and your job is to go out there and make some noise in the market. You should be really good at positioning that. Right. I'm always incredibly impressed, sometimes alarmed by some of the stuff you see like, oh, you, you created that yourself? Oh, that's so great, so great. <laughs> So what, so, so that's really good. So what, cause there's probably, there's, I mean, there's managers and there's salespeople in yeah. here. And then, you know, it's always, it depends, but what is it that in your mind is that's good or, Hey, that's creative. But what if you tried it this way? Like, how would you coach them? Right? Because to your point, like, Hey, at least they're trying yeah. and it's, you know, you know, we don't want them to, you know, go off brand and all that stuff, but we don't want to micromanage that the logo's in the wrong place or something. So what does good and bad look like to you in those worlds where you let the reps do that? Um, you know, I think there has to be a balance, right? Because if everything always has to be sanitized and sent through marketing, it loses some of that authenticity, particularly when you're reaching out to prospects or clients, right? Um, I think gone are the days of 15 years ago, like, ooh, look at this really cool email I got that's so beautifully designed. It must be from Scott. It, it has to be him. It has his name on it, right? Like, everyone knows it's marketing. Um, even 15 years ago, Scott would never send anything like that. <laughs> even even uh, 15, 15 years ago or today, I know how to make nothing look pretty. So you definitely <laughs> know it's not coming from me. But I think it has to be balanced. And honestly, I think that relationship for marketing and sales has to be so in lockstep and tight because there, how, how can you really 
either teams do their job without the help of the other. But what do you coach, what coach good to? Hey, if you're a sales rep and you're going to go out and do this yeah. and you're going to you know, leverage your voice on LinkedIn or yep. even Instagram or whatever, what are the tips that you would like a salesperson to walk away with to, to keep in yeah, mind? So I think, um, <laughs> hold on, I have a visitor. The real, real interesting right. part two of that question, Richard, might be, should marketing be involved with coaching and training salespeople on how to do demand gen better? I, I have yet to see or hear any marketing department do like demand gen copywriting kind of training for really? their oh yeah it's extremely rare if you're if you're doing that you're in the like 0.1 percent um you know it's interesting yeah. I, I would say you know certainly um there's just such a great relationship between the sales and marketing team at flywire and even if i look at like our travel slash commercial team they are so aligned and the marketing team is helping with writing content for them or templates they can use. Our sales team uses tools like Yesware um, to make sure they're, they're doing prospecting campaigns and drip campaigns on their own. The, 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 so the sales teams that I'm aware of are doing all those kind of things and have those kind of conversations, but there's less like full-blown training from a demand gen expert or a marketing expert looking at a salesperson's post and then saying, look, Here's, you know, some suggestions on how maybe you could have done this differently or position this to get better return and that kind of thing. The question is born out of like, I had a bunch of salespeople on a, on a Thursday night sales uh, call last week who were asking like, how do I move into marketing? I want to get out of sales. I'm like, how do I move into marketing? And so that's kind of where my, my head is at with all this. I'm just wondering you know, from a, from an actual marketing experts perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. Hold on, this kid really wants watermelon. Let me just sorry, never get in the way of watermelon, Richard. Ever, absolutely. I told you that one would be it. It's always him. Um, so I think part of it is I always love the salespeople that come to marketing and say like, "Hey, I'm really trying to work on my messaging. Um, what do you suggest? Like, what are some things? What are some do's and don'ts?" I love that more than anything because one, they're working on their personal brand. Two, they're trying to position the company in the best light. And three, they often make amazing marketers. Um, I'll be honest, I've seen it, right? I've seen a lot of, I've seen some salespeople want to move from sales to marketing, but I do think it's still rare. And I don't know why. Um, and I don't know if you guys have more insight into it. I'd love to see more of it because if you have the ability to sell and close deals, I think we'd make phenomenal marketers. That's what I often get. Well, you don't, you don't, you don't get the people who are the best at selling who want to migrate that way, if for no yeah. other reason than dollars and cents. <laughs> exactly. Right? So you typically. Yeah, I also think companies will, they look down upon that transition from sales to marketing. They're like, oh, they couldn't accomplish it. They're, you know, they, they, they're not a good employee. When in, when in fact, there's like all this institutional customer-based knowledge that you just lose. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I agree with you. I just think that that's where a lot of people see the challenge with letting folks transition. Is it so, being looking for yeah. as a and, and to a certain extent and, and through no fault of anybody, you know, I can also see, and I've talked to marketers where they're like, 
yeah, that's a good idea, but I kind of want somebody who's already set up demand gen practices. I don't want to stop and teach them, right? Which is, which is a fair, you know, it's fair to say that, but either way, you still got a six month ramp just depending on what you want to do. Right. So, um, yeah, it is funny. Marketers can be very funny in that way too, as salespeople. And it's still mind boggling to me that like after all this time, there's still that the whole dynamic of marketing versus sales, um, which I get, but I still don't get like mm -hmm. if the partnership is not there, like how, you know, I think I learned early on if your head of marketing, head of sales aren't aligned, don't get along. Like it's just not going to work. It's not going to work for the company. What about somebody who's stuck in that exact environment right now? Right. Let's say they're working someplace and the head of marketing and the head of sales are not aligned. And in normal times, my advice would probably be get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Right? But right now that might not be my advice with everything going on. So what would, what would you say, what can somebody try to do if they're stuck in that kind of, of dynamic, whether it's the whole department against the other department or whether, you know, just you and I as department heads are like not on the same page. What, what are some things that people could do to try to improve that relationship? I think you've got to find allies in other areas. Um, I don't know how worth it, it would be. I mean, potentially, maybe it's worth it to say, hey, if I'm in marketing, how do I get closer to the sales leader to show them how we can collaborate and work well together? But I would say, I think for like people that are doing the work every day, how do you get closer to the sales team or how does the sales team get closer to marketing? Is it, Hey, let's brainstorm ways that we can work better together. What are some campaigns we can do? What are some joint efforts? Um, that's a tough situation, right? I agree with your advice. Your first advice was that's, that's not a great position to be in. And that makes for a pretty miserable day-to-day -day setting. If you have two leaders that aren't aligned and you're both completely going against um, each other on goals and whatnot, but I would say in today's world, right, where you may not have as many options to, to go to something else, I would do the best you can to find allies in other places and different, different people and departments that you could work with and try to get some, some programs going. Because at least in the short term, that would give you some sort of personal satisfaction. What are, what are the tips? I want to come back to that question before Scott hijacked it. Um, <laughs> what? What are the things when that sales rep comes to you and says, hey, I want to get better at this. I want to do some of my own stuff. What are the things that make you go, okay, this is good content that I think you should be using for your own individual approach, right? This is, this is the kind of stuff I would move away from. So if we talk pure, let's just say email for a second. Sure. One thing that makes me more crazy is when, and I see it so many times like throughout my career of, are you interested in like bullets of here, are all the things that we have to offer? How about a call next Tuesday? I'm, I got one this morning that was like, here's why you should pick us over sales loft. I'm like, you haven't even said where you're from. Like, I don't even know where you're from. <laughs> I have no idea what company you're, and this is like the fourth email you received, I've received in a chain and it still doesn't even talk about their company name or what they do. Um, so I would say that piece of it is if you're not driving right to the pain. And I think the other thing is, is like, do your, do your homework, do your research, like understand who you're talking to in today's world, like LinkedIn, let's face it, has become a personal branding machine for most people. And it's becoming very, very effective for that purpose. 
but I think knowing your audience, being relevant. And if you're trying to reach out personally to a prospect, like know who they are, know what, even if it's something like, Hey, I saw on your Twitter feed, you like cycling, um, thought this would be of interest to you. Find something personal about that person, but be relevant. And in today's world, if you're marketing or selling towards industries, which are pretty hard hit in light of COVID, which most are like, if you have nothing of value to offer, then just move out of the way. You're just creating noise. So I want to just to double down on that a little bit, particularly, and I've sold into the sled market. So I get education. Um, I kind of agree with you. It's not that hard if your messaging's right and you know what to say and how to say it. Um, but some of those people don't live on LinkedIn, right? There's a, there's a whole bunch of people like, you know, we all live on LinkedIn and we're like, why isn't this person on LinkedIn? You know what? Lawyers on on LinkedIn and, um, you know, heads of certain departments at, in education aren't, or, you know, they're just not there. Then what do you do? So I think it's, it's, you have to understand your buyer, your prospect, where they are. So even if I look at our adventure travel segment for a moment, most of what they do is Instagram. Um, they do a lot of their selling through Instagram. You look at their profiles and their beautiful videos of, you know, especially like the, some of these hella skiing, um, companies that we work with these amazing drone footage shots and people skiing out of helicopters down mountains, like so much of their, their, uh, their company, their culture, their community is through Instagram. So we had to make sure we have a presence there. We don't have a presence there. And actually we started a whole different Instagram, um, handle because, to just go with the corporate one, which is very much more about our culture, our hiring, our people, which is great. We also had to show off, we use that as a way to show off our clients in the travel space. Um, that's a big piece of it is know where your audiences are and be there. So I agree with you. Not everyone is on LinkedIn, particularly in higher ed. I'd say in the last year, I've seen more and more people join and start using, but I don't think it's as um, popular or prevalent as you see in like the tech industry where everyone is on it there. We change topics for a second. We have talked ad infinitum about <clears throat> the hiring process for sales and moving up the ranks into sales leadership and things like that. What would your advice be for somebody who's in marketing who wants to become a EVP of global marketing like you? What do they, what do they need to work on and, and, where do they need to be to sort of seek out and land these kind of opportunities? Um, I think part of it is the ability to hire amazing talent and let that talent lead. I think oftentimes leaders, particularly newer leaders, and I've struggled with this in the past, they have a hard time letting go initially as they're building great teams because they're fearful of if I let go, and have someone else do this, does that mean like, what am I doing? What happens to me? Am I not seen as a great leader because someone on my team is so amazing? When in fact, quite the opposite happens. You hire amazing people who do amazing things, you get to start doing those other things, those more strategic things that helps raise your profile. If you do the opposite or you micromanage or you hire people that you always have to overshadow or outshine, you're gonna stay in that same position forever. So that's part of it. Um, I think, the other piece is know the story you're telling. Another thing I really struggled with. And it's interesting because marketers are almost are usually the worst marketers of themselves. It's the, it's just, why, why is that? Don't know what it is, but they just usually, that's not true for all marketers, but it usually is. Um, 
where they have a harder time, you know, promoting themselves and what they're doing. And that's, that's not to say you have to be out there being like, look how amazing I am, but you have to, I got this great advice from a leader um, in the past company that was like, you know, always try to think about like, what's your bumper sticker? What do you want people to know you as? And if you're doing a million things, you're probably going to get that reputation of like, yeah, they're pretty good. They're smart. They're capable. I don't really know what they've accomplished though. Um, so make sure that you're very specific in that story. I also think seek out mentors. That's been a big piece of my career is seeking out mentors to talk to, get career advice from. Are are heads of marketing and, and people in positions like yours willing to be mentors and help out in marketing? I mean, it's, it's super prevalent in sales right now. Like yeah. you can't, you know, you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody willing to be your, your mentor yeah. and your in the sales process. Um, I've found yes in my career. And I know I've always been, I love when people reach out to me and ask for like, Hey, I'd love to, you know, get advice or chat for a couple minutes. Um, I think because I had the good fortune of people taking the five to 30 minutes out of their time, you know, earlier on in my career to give me advice, I feel it's, you know, my obligation. And I also love doing it to pay that forward and do it for the same for aspiring marketing leaders. Um, so I do think you, I don't know that there's as, as big as that culture that you see online. We should probably start doing that more as you do on sales. Um, but I think that's a big piece of it. Um, that, you know, being so yes, I would say absolutely always open to giving advice and feedback. What, this is a topic we sort of stray into, um, which is what's your position on marketing owning a revenue number, not just an MQL number or not even an MQL number? Um, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about what your situation is like there, but Curious on this thought. We see people go both ways on this one. Um, I think marketing absolutely should. <laughs> um, it's a number I've owned in past lives. It's a number we're tracking to. Like I said, the, there's we're working towards a lot of the last year has been putting systems in place to track all of this. Um, I actually don't pay a ton of attention to the MQL number because I think it's just that in a number. I think what's more important to look at is how are we tracking towards pipeline, qualified pipeline, closed revenue. And then even looking at that as you're growing your marketing team, growing your investment, what's that percentage of how much sales is doing and how do you figure out that balance over time of, all right, so if I have a hundred dollars, I put that towards another salesperson or do I invest in marketing? What do I get out of that? Um, how do you, let's say there, let's say there's someone who's, who's thinking of, well, how do we tie that number? Does that mean that sales only gets a part of the number marketing gets a part of the number or everybody just gets compensated on the number? Cause it all comes, the biggest issue I hear people say is that it really boils down to compensation. Who gets credit when in fact, it's kind of like, well, we all get credit. Yeah. Right? We can't. So do you have an opinion that, you know, if the goal is 10 million, you know, marketing needs to be able to trace 2 million of yeah. that or is it, that marketing just needs to make sure we help get to 10 million. So I think at the end of the day, we're all in it to hit the same revenue goal, right? I think pitting the teams against each other does nothing that's going to actually move the needle or get teams to collaborate. And I think it's partly why we still see this divide between marketing and sales. Um, I haven't seen a company and I know it exists out there that would say, Oh, because marketing sourced that you're not getting compensated. I've always seen it when the rep still gets come, they still closed it. Marketing might've found it and sourced it, but the rep is still closing that deal. So to me, what's most important is you get to that revenue number. 
As a marketing leader, though, I want to make sure from the team we have, the investment dollars that we're putting forth, how are those working for us and how do we grow those? And if we don't have the ability to track it, I'm not going to know what to invest in next year and the year after and making sure that the team is still really effective and efficient. And that's the big piece of it, too, of looking at how do you continue to invest and grow your go-to-market for, for scaling purposes. But I would say in terms of like goals, you want both teams to have the goals, but it's most important that everyone is marching towards that same number. So and I'm going to shift topics completely. Um, you're, you're a female sales leader or a female marketing leader. I would even say a sales leader based on what I've learned about you. Um, what advice do you give to other women or even other groups who, you know, may not fit the traditional mold in some sense, right? Um, everybody I know has faced something. And I'm just curious, you know, what, what advice can you give to people? You're also a mom. You're, you know, you're like me. I, my, my spouse can also help take care of the kids full time. So that helps. What, what are some of the, that advice to the younger people in their career that you'd like to, you know, tell them not to take shit, you know, get up and, you know, whatever it is, what, what's your advice for them? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say so much of it has to do with belief in yourself and going after what you want. I think, um, you know, I think with everything, the, the world is full of people that are always going to tell you what you're not good at, why you're not ready for that next role, why you shouldn't go into sales or go into marketing, but that's not up to anyone else to decide other than yourself. And I would say the other thing, and I've learned this the harder, right? Ask for what you want. Because if you don't ask, how is anyone going to know if that's what you want? Like I've heard it, I've had it happen to myself, but I've heard it time and time again with others that they're like, well, I really wanted to be a director. And it's like, oh, no one knew that. Like everyone thought you were happy in your role and you didn't want more. Um, so I think there's always that fear of like, what happens if I ask and the answer is no? Well, then the answer is no. And then you figure out how do you turn it to a yes or how do you say it's time to go in a different direction? But at least you know. So I would say that's the one overall is like, Ask for it what you want. Be bold. It's great. It's great advice. In particular, you know, you've you've got to learn to be an advocate. You know, yeah. a self advocate. Nobody yeah. else is out there advocating for you with the same degree of passion yeah. or enthusiasm behind yeah. it. You know, yeah. Um, we're kind of getting to the end of the end of our time here, and wanted to give you, you know, an opportunity to ask us anything like how can we be supportive of you is there any questions you maybe have for us how can we help you and in, in, in what you're up to um i would love to flip it a bit and get both of your opinions on you know we've talked a lot about the often divide between marketing and sales what do marketing and teams and sales leaders need to be doing now right like so much hasn't changed over the years in tactics and strategies what do you want to see marketing teams doing more of Selling, plain and simple. You want, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, if you want two parties to understand each other better, flip the roles and have each person, you know, walk a day or a week in each other's shoes, right? I mean, I've, I've heard many comments like, oh, all marketing has to do is like churn out content every, every week. Well, if you've ever tried to write every single day, and produce something new and interesting and original and creative, it's not that fucking easy, okay? <laughs> I've heard many marketing people say, oh, sales, yeah, super easy. You get paid all this money and you just get people to buy stuff after there's a good product and we created the demand for it. Oh, really? 
okay, go get on the phone. Yeah. Um, so that would be the first thing that I would suggest is, you know, maybe everybody who comes through on the marketing side has to spend some time on the sales floor. Yeah. <clears throat> and maybe everybody on the sales side has to spend some time contributing to marketing in, in a particular way. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, it, it really starts with the relationship from the two heads. You know, if, if you're the EVP of marketing and I'm the EVP of sales, like our relationship has to be rock solid. Yes. And, and, and us as those leaders, we have to commit to that. We have to communicate a lot. We've got to spend time together. We've got to make sure that we're, our messaging is aligned and, and whatnot. And I've been at organizations where I felt really close to the head of marketing and other ones where I didn't. Um, and it's a night and day kind of situation, but our level of commitment and our relationship will filter on down. Yes. Um, so those are, those are two things that I think are critical. What about you, Richard? So I think um, piggybacking off Scott's piece is that we have to check our ego at the door, right? There's no right way or wrong way. There's no marketing's way and sales way. There are two rights to this question, right? Marketing is right in their opinion. So is sales. Mm -hmm. So how do we merge those two together? So I think sort of trying to check your egos and kind of go, you know what? I need to stop thinking I'm always right and, and either come with data to support my piece, but then be able to say, what am I missing marketing? Because here's what my data is saying, but maybe I'm still not getting something, right? And the same for marketing. So I think, I think that's the biggest piece. The one thing I would love for marketing to do is, um, and I've been, chirping on this for a while is that I believe that as part of marketing compensations, case studies need to be written every quarter. Like it should be part of your MBOs. It should be part of something because, you know, we keep hearing more and more about storytelling and storytelling, which, you know, I know Scott and I've been talking about for years, but then marketing can't seem to get them or it doesn't become quite the priority with all the other initiatives. And that's okay. Like that's, I get it. But if you make those initiatives, that's what people want. And then you have to train your team on how to actually tell a story. Yes. Like how do you set up a story? How do you set up the plot line? You know, like it's literally going back to a writer's workshop. Yeah. Uh, like my kids are going through in school. So, so that, those would be the things I would focus on. I think it's, thank you for asking the question. That's a really good one. Those are good ones. Cool. So. Well, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us, Allison and, talking to us about marketing and sales and Flywire and all of, all the things. I'm really glad we got your, um, we got introduced to you through, through Galem. Yes. Who, uh, works at Flywire, big, big fan of hers. Um, so glad for the introduction and appreciate your time. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta do one more thing, Scott. We gotta give a shout out to Lead411, right? So they, we actually have a sponsor, Allison. So we're super excited about that. Um, they have this amazing ability to find mobile numbers um, as well as a whole bunch of other intent data, which I think is really what we're all striving for. So it's sort of nice to talk to you about this stuff. Um, and just, you know, if you're looking for that kind of thing, please check out Lead 411. We'd greatly appreciate it. We know they would too. Thank you. This was great. All right. Thanks, Allison. Thank you.